you would, please take your copy of God's Word this morning and turn to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. As I thought about what sermon to bring uh, to start off another year, I thought that there is no better place to camp for a moment than in Psalm 90, which reminds us that God is the center or should be the center of everything that we do. That our role as believers is to live lives that point to the supremacy of God, not only in our own lives, but in our church. That we would dedicate ourselves in 2023 to living God-centered. And I want to bring that to you from the first three verses of Psalm 90. And here's what I think we see in these opening verses. We have to ask ourselves, what do we fix our affections on day to day? What matters to us most? We live in a world that is marked by sin and and death and pain and trials. What are we as Christians to do as we live? And ultimately, if you understand that the Psalms are given to us as God's worship, He knows that we're going to need help understanding how to praise His name and and how to worship Him properly. So He gives us the book of Psalms to show us how to praise Him and how to glorify Him. The question we have to ask is, what can Christians sing when everything that we experience in this world often leaves us in despair and dejection? See, I believe... As Christians, that our eyes must be on the Lord at all times because we can quickly become overwhelmed by the things that we experience, by the problems of this world. Because we know that in in a world that is filled with sorrow, there's also going to be sorrow mixed with joy as Christians. While there's going to be trials, there's also going to be trials with grace that we experience. And all of this flows from our trust in God alone. So what I want to do is I want to fix our eyes back on God one more time to remind us that we need to live God-centered every single day. I'm going to read from Psalm 90. And because you guys came this morning, because you're not like those other wimps who slept in and were out partying, because you came this morning, I'm going to let you sit down while I read this to us this morning. Psalm 90, verses 1 through 3. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. Would you pray with me, Heavenly Father? Would you teach us? by your Spirit's power this morning. Would you help us to see your beauty today? That in a world that often turns our gaze towards other things that are less lovely, Father, would you use your word to captivate us and to help us to see that you are our treasure in this life? And Father, would you help us day to day to live with this insight? 
Father, that as we wake in the morning and as we go to bed at night, our, our attention would be fixed on you. Lord, that we might see that the cares of this world pale in comparison to your glory. So, Father, help us do that this morning with joy. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm going to need some of you to say amen, because it's going to get hard to get through this in a, in a meaningful way if I hear crickets. So, even if you don't like it, just say amen, and I'll move on. But I'm going to need you this morning, because I, I need you to be encouraged today. I need, because I believe these verses are meant to be an encouragement to you and me as Christians. What does it mean to live God-centered? Well, I want to turn your focus, number one, to the fact that God is the Lord. We don't, hey, there we go, there we go. So we don't just take it for granted that everyone believes that. But what God tells us in his word, Psalm 90, verse 1, we learn that he is the Lord. Now I want you to notice, this is described as a prayer of Moses. Did you realize that the Psalms didn't begin to be composed with David, but in fact we see here probably the earliest psalm, which is a psalm of Moses. And I actually believe that most likely this was written at the end of the wilderness wanderings, probably when they're preparing to go into the promised land. You know, we're told in Deuteronomy that Moses was not allowed to go in. He died on the mountain outside. He wasn't allowed to cross over. And you can imagine after years of wandering, after years of dependence on God, after years of trust, what might he say? Well, I believe what we see in this psalm is exactly the heart of Moses from early on about what he believed about his God. And no matter all the problems, all the struggles, all the difficulties, all the wanderings, guess what he says? He is the Lord, you have been he our says, dwelling Lord. place in all generations. See, Moses had a front row seat to the Lord. He's the one who got to see the delivering hand of God. Moses is the one who got to watch the plagues happen. Moses was the one who saw the Red Sea part in front of him. He's the one who saw manna from heaven every single day while they wandered. But he also knew the sin of man. He knew the greatness of God. He knew that the Lord was mighty. In fact, the word here for Lord is the word Adonai. It was actually a substitute they would use for the name of God because they were too fearful to use the name of God. But what we see in the word Lord is the idea that there is a difference. Hear me. There's a difference between God and us. Don't take it for granted. There's a difference between God and us, which should lead us to go, you know what I should do? I should probably live my life with God in mind. I should probably live every day thinking of God first over me. You know why? Because I ain't the Lord. Oh, sorry. I am not the Lord. He is the Lord. He is supreme over all others. You get that? See, we'll never live lives of God-centeredness if we believe we're the king. And oh, I'm telling you folks, some days I wake up thinking, ooh, I'm pretty special. I'm hot stuff, you know what I mean? Sometimes I wake up thinking the world revolves, I know you don't think that, but I, you think that about yourself. Some days you wake up and you go, man, I am, I am, I'm cool. I'm good. People should love me. I'm so great and wonderful. 
What we're told here is that God is the Lord. He is supreme. There is no one like him. And because of that, he deserves all of our devotion every single day. Why should you live God-centered? Because God is the Lord. Paul, when he's sharing with the philosophers in Athens, he shares this in Acts chapter 17, verse 24 and 25. When Paul described God, he described him as the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. You know what God needs from me? Nothing. You know why? He's the Lord. He's supreme in every way. Now, he wants us to worship him and to glorify him like we should, but he don't need our affection. He doesn't need my acceptance. He doesn't need my approval. He is supreme. Thank you, Terry. He is supreme above all else. And because of that, we live God-centered lives. We wake up reminding ourselves that we're not the creator king of all the universe because we so quickly fall back into that. So how do we live that out in daily life? Well, it means that you're going to live a God-centered life. You're going to recognize in your daily life that he's the Lord and not you or me. You're going to intentionally pursue him because he is the Lord. You're going to seek to glorify God above everything else in your marriage. Husbands and wives, you are going to live God-centered lives to show that God is the Lord of your marriage, not you or not your spouse. But together you say God is the king and we're going to live our lives centered on him. And that's tough because that means you've got to put aside what you want, what I want. But that's how you're going to do it every single day. You're going to do it. You say, well, I'm not married, so I get off the hook. No. You live a God-centered life in your family. You show your family what it means to put God first because he's the Lord. You show your family that God deserves that kind of worship because he made you and he loves you and he owns everything. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are going to get that. You live a God-centered life in your community. The people you go to work with, the people that you go to school with, the people that you're around all the time in your social influence circle, whatever, whoever your friends are, you're going to live a God-centered life to show them that he is the Lord and they desperately need him because he is all-powerful. He's the king. They need him. So you live your life intentionally in front of them to show, I'm not the king. He is. And I'll be honest with you, some Christians walk around like they're the king. And they don't point people to Jesus when you do that. Instead, we walk around going, you know what? I am beloved by the king. That's where my hope is found. So we glorify God in our daily lives. We also glorify God in this church. How do we do that? How do we glorify God when we gather together here at Fairhaven? Well, we do it by sacrificing for each other. We do it because we're showing up, not because I want something, because I want to give something. Because I want to bless other people. You're going to live sacrificially. You're going to love sacrificially. That's how you live a God-centered life here. When you gather together, we realize we're not gathering to get what we want out of this. We're gathering to help each other to love God more and to pursue him. It means we show grace to one another. We have selfless love for one another. It's not about who can be the best or who can get the top or who can be in charge. It's about God. It's about the Lord. 
And we want to honor him when we gather together. And listen, folks, sometimes that's not very exciting. A lot of people may show up to our services and go, this is boring. Well, if giving people God is boring, then let's be boring. We ain't got to have strobe lights and fancy shows. We can just simply give you God. Because he's the Lord. They may look at us funny. That's what happens when all you do is offer people the Lord and his grace. That's what we sing. That's what we sing when we get together. We sing that God is the, the hero and the king of our lives. Okay? So he is Lord. Number two, he is our dwelling place. Why do we live God-centered lives? Because God is our dwelling place. Now, what in the world does that mean? We see in Psalm 90, verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. The word dwelling place is a word that means refuge, home. What, what, what does that give you a picture of? Refuge and home. What do you think of when you hear those words? Protection, safety, anything else? What do you think of when you hear refuge or home? Comfort, peace, oh, wonderful. See, I knew this. When I, when I was growing up, uh, for a period of time, uh, our, our house had like a little cove that you entered into. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you step up to the front door, there's like walls on both sides of you. It's like a closed-in little cove. And, and my mom had like a wreath on the side of the, of the wall right there when you're standing by the front door about to knock to get in. And there was a, a wreath there. And over time, a bird built a nest there. And, and I realized that a bird built a nest there when I left the house one day to go out to the mailbox to get the mail. And when I went out to go get the mail, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I'm just getting dive bombed by these birds that are just coming out. And I, you ever seen somebody have like a bug around them and they start going crazy and you wonder what they're doing? That's what I was doing all the way out to the mailbox and all the way back in. But I knew once I got in the house, I'm safe, secure, I'm protected. Bird couldn't get in there. Same thing with storms, right? We grew up in southern Indiana. We had some bad storms come through. I'm not going to tell you how many times my mom made me get in the tub because a tornado was coming or was there a threat of something. But guess what home was? If you were outside playing and all of a sudden the storm hit, guess what you did? Well, at least what you should have done. Was booked into the house. Why? Because house was where protection was, safety was. Now, God says, this is God to you as a Christian. God says to you as a Christian that he is your dwelling place. Right? He, he is your home. He is your safety. He is your protection. And don't we need it? You see the world we live in? And instead, when, the, when the storms hit, guess what we often do? We often run from God. Guess what he calls us to do? You know what a God-centered life looks like? It's running to God. In the midst of the storms and the pain and the struggle, we run to him. Why? Because he is our protection. He is our safety. And boy, that is special. It's, 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 it's something far greater than we can ever even think sometimes. A dwelling place. Think about that. Who wrote this? Moses. Moses said God told him that God was a dwelling place for Moses. You remember what Moses' life was like? 
Did Moses really have a home he could go pack up and go to? No, he spent most of his life running and wandering. And in the midst of all of that, you would think that would make him bitter towards God. Not being, able to have, not being able to have a place that he could call his own. A place that he could settle in. But guess what? God tells Moses, I am your dwelling place. Even when you're wandering, I'm with you. That's a special kind of relationship and love, isn't it? And he is a constant refuge for those who trust in him. And we need this because we're called sojourners and strangers in this world. And even in the temporary nature of this world, we can rest assured as Christians that we have a refuge, a home, a place we belong. And notice he doesn't say that uh, heaven is our dwelling place. He doesn't say earth is our dwelling place. He says he is our dwelling place. And by the way, he has been. He is. And he always will be. Christians, this world is tough to live in. But as you live life every day with your eyes focused on God, centered on him, doing what pleases him, you find a home, a dwelling place. You find security and safety and protection and comfort in God. Even when the things of this world are ripped from your hands. Oh, that's good news. You don't have to fear, folks. If you have God, you have a dwelling place. He is with you. That's covenant relationship talk. That's gracious love talk. That's belonging to God talk. And that's why he's so glorious. You know why you should live a God-centered life in 2023? He's the Lord, and he is your dwelling place. He is your home, your security in this life. By the way, it doesn't just start with Moses, does it? He says, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Think about the generations that came before Moses. Abraham, leave your city and go to a place I will show you. Oh, no. You mean you want me to leave my house? My comfort, my security, you want me to leave my home? Yes, you know why? Because for Abraham, God was his dwelling place. Didn't get any better for Isaac or Jacob or even Joseph who had to wander, sold into slavery, into Egypt. All of these. So what we're told is that God wasn't a dwelling place starting with Moses and everyone who came after him. No, God is a dwelling place and has been for all generations. This is the grace of God, that God has enduring faithfulness towards you and me. And it means that God's presence is with us. So in the midst of this world, you know how you live a God-centered life? Flee to God. See him as your refuge, as your home, as your security. Because, folks, if we're in Jesus, we are no longer orphans in this world. You're not an orphan. You belong to the household of God. Even in a world where we might feel forsaken. 
So be encouraged, Christians. He is the Lord and he is your dwelling place. Live a life centered on him. Number three, he is eternal. You know why we should live God-centered lives? Because God is eternal. This is important. Because if he's not, what good of a refuge is he? How can he say he's the refuge for all generations? How can we say that we enjoy that kind of dwelling place if he's not eternal? But just as God's protection and presence didn't originate in Moses' generation, God's being didn't originate at creation. We're told in verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You know why you should live a God-centered life? Because God is eternal. He always has been. He is and he always will be. He's like a ray of light shining through the dark clouds of this life. And you can always see it, even if it's faint. The presence of God, His love, and His mercy, because He is eternal, that light shines in the darkness of our present pilgrimage in this world. I think about this. He says, before the mountains were ever brought into being, God is. Okay, who wrote this? Moses. You can imagine Moses after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, approaching the promised land and seeing the mountains off in the distance. And as he approaches, he remembers before these were ever formed, God is. It's a big God. That's a big God that doesn't get overwhelmed with the things that we face. That's a big God that doesn't get tired of hearing our pleas to him. The God who was there before the mountains were ever formed. I remember driving to Colorado. We got a chance to go out to Colorado on vacation one time with some friends. And I remember driving to Colorado. And in order to get to Colorado, we had to drive through Kansas. Don't ever drive through Kansas. And it was just mile after mile after mile of nothing. And then you cross into Colorado, and there's still nothing. I thought mountains started at Colorado. They don't. You hit Colorado, it's still flat. You drive for another hour, hour and a half, and then finally, off in the distance, you see mountains. Small at first, bigger and bigger and bigger. Until you stand at the foot of them and you cannot believe what you're looking at. The biggest things you can find on earth. Moses said, before God ever caused any one of them to come into being, he is. Oh, folks, you know why you should live a God-centered life? Is because he transcends everything you know. Everything you've seen. Think of the most beautiful thing you've seen in this world. God's bigger and better than that. 
I imagine Moses felt that way when approaching the promised land and being reminded that God was bigger than all of it. See, this eternal God created and caused to be all of creation. And the reason he's able to do that is because God himself is pure being. God's name means causes to be. God himself is pure being. And this is given to us because we need comfort in a world that seems to be bigger than him. But we should be able to echo what we see in the pages of Scripture, that there is no one like God. Because if God is finite, then he can't be your promised refuge for all generations. If God is finite, he cannot be the Lord Almighty. But he is the eternal one from all generations. Get this, the same God who walked with Moses, who Moses got to experience and talk with like a friend talks to a friend. The same God who was the pillar and the fire, the cloud, is the same God who is with us today. The God who walked with Moses is the same God who walks with us. You know why you should live your whole life centered on God? Because He's eternal. He is everlasting. From everlasting to everlasting. You know what the great difference between God and us is? His eternality. Well, so what does that even mean that He's eternal? That He is from eternity past to eternity future? Well, let me ask you, how do we measure time? To say he's eternal is to say that he's timeless. How do we measure time? Well, you say with a clock, right? That's bad luck for people if they didn't have clocks. Did, did time, was there no such thing as time before clocks? So what is time? Well, time is measure of change. You know how time has gone by? Because things change around you to tell you that. The day turns into night. Right? Y'all looked at any of your pictures lately? You know how time is a real thing? Look at your pictures from 30 years ago. Oh, sorry. Um, Mammy Grace, just think of uh, pictures from 10 years ago. But to mean, to say God is eternal is to say what about him? If time is a measure of change, then what is eternity? No change. What's God saying about himself? He's the same day after day after day, and he will continue to be. Has always been, is right now, always will be. You know why he can be your dwelling place for all generations? Because he doesn't change a bit. Wrap your mind around that. That's the God you serve. That's the God who saved you. He's eternal, and because of that, you should live your lives 
centered on him. Moses says, you are God. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Not you were God. Not you will be God. You are God. See, and, and you only need to describe him as God. He doesn't need any other descriptors. He doesn't need any other adjectives because there's only one. It's him. He is God. Always has been. Always will be. We live God-centered lives. We come in here to worship together. And the worship that should take place in here is not us-centered. It's not what I want. It's not what can I get. The worship we do in here is God-centered. Because he's the Lord, not me. He's the refuge, not me. He's eternal, not me. He deserves worship. He deserves to be centered on. He deserves to be focused on because he alone is God. Number four, he is judge. Ooh, <laughs> we don't like that part. What it means is God governs his world. Everything he's made, he governs it because it's his. We're told in verse 3, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. So what does verse 3 focus on? It focuses on how God relates to us as people. And just after saying, he's the Lord, he's our refuge, he is eternal, he then says, you are children of man. Why should we live God-centered lives? Well, because when you look at who we are compared to who he is, why in the world would we live for us? See, in contrast to God's eternality is the frailness and finiteness. Is that a word? If not, I just made it one. In contrast to God being eternal, we are finite and we are frail. This is why you should live a life that centers on him. Because he's the only one who endures forever and has always been. We desperately need God. It reminds me of Psalm 8 verse 4 when the psalmist says, Who is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? Even the psalmist is going, why would God care about me at all? Have you seen me lately? I ain't that great. I ain't that special. Who is this God who is Lord and the refuge and eternal who would even think about people like us? You know why you should live a God-centered life? Because God, even though he didn't need us, he created us and saved us for his glory. And we desperately need him. And just so you know, when you live a God-centered life, you know what's going to come right to the forefront? You know what you're going to notice more? Your frailness. Your, your finiteness. Your sin. If you live a God, maybe that's why we don't like to live God-centered lives. is because we're going to be reminded of how just not like God we are often. 
If you live a God-centered life, you know what you're going to be aware of more and more? Of when you don't look like what he created you to be. And that's hard. And you would expect God to just go, well, then I'm done with you. No. God's faithfulness is enduring and it's unbelievable. Because even in spite of our sin, God shows himself to be truly gracious. But we have to live life every single day understanding that it doesn't revolve around us. That one day, like he says in verse 3, you return man to dust or destruction. See, I think this is, I think this is a way of saying we die. This life ends and we'll live God-centered lives when we realize that we are not the end-all, be-all, but when we realize just how great God is. That, that word dust, that, that stirs up pictures of, of Genesis chapter 3. From the dust you came to the dust you shall return. See, and I think, who wrote this? Moses. He had a front row seat to what sin does. Because as he wandered in the wilderness and led the people of God, guess what he also got to experience? He got to watch an entire generation die wandering in the desert. Oh, he was familiar with dust returning to dust. Imagine the people lost along the pathway. And yet, it should stir up in us a worship of God. To say that he returns man to dust, do you know what the picture of that is? Do you know what this is stirring up? When I, when I was a kid, I used to love Play-Doh. I'll be honest with you, as an adult, I would love Play-Doh too. If anybody wants to give me Play-Doh, I'll, I'll use that. But I remember as a kid, I loved Play-Doh. You know why? Because you could just, you could do whatever. You could do whatever. I wasn't very talented. I made snakes. It's not hard, but it still looked glorious. You know how to do that, right? You just roll it. I thought I was just the greatest thing in the world. Look, I made a snake. It's that forming. It's that taking something and forming and shaping it. That's the word. That's a mental picture that you see here from returning to dust. Is God is the one who, when he creates human beings, guess what he does? He takes the dust and he forms it. And he shapes it. But don't get it mistaken. God is the one who ordains the forming and the return. If we're going to live God-centered lives, we have to remember that he is the judge, and he's a righteous judge, and he sees all. See, our only hope of life to come is the eternal God who is our dwelling place. Because if it's left up to us, we're in trouble. We're Play-Doh acting like we can tell the person who formed us what to do. God deserves your worship. He deserves your devotion because he is the one who formed you. And we have to come face to face with the fact that we're not him. And the realization of our neediness should lead us to a greater trust in God. That he is worthy to be trusted. He is worthy of reverent fear. He's worthy of awe and worship. Because we see that we are but dust, that he has formed, and that he controls. See, to know this God who rightly judges is also the God who delivers us 
by his own gracious provision that should keep our eyes on him. Knowing that we are but dust and yet he rescues us by the very death of his son should remind us to keep our eyes focused on his beauty, not our own. It's okay to admit we're not the best. But our God, he is the Lord. He is our refuge. He is eternal. And he is our judge. We're fixed on his beauty. And that fixation should cause us to devote ourselves in every way. In fact, it's a command. We're told in verse 3, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. That's a command. What it's telling me is that I'm not the one who's ultimately in charge of my life. As much as I like to think I am, I wasn't responsible for me being born. I won't be in charge of when I die. That is on him. He is in charge. He's the potter. I'm the clay. And because of that, I live every day he allows me in complete devotion to him. At least I should. Because our God is the one who holds power over life and death. The things of this world are not supreme. The God who brought all things into being the sovereign king of all creation, it is he who deserves worship. So here's what I'm asking us to do. In 2023, would you as a Christian resolve this morning that you're going to do your very, very best to live every day that the, God, that the Lord Almighty gives you? That you're going to resolve to live every day with him as the center? That you'll keep your sights on him while you live day to day. That we would live our lives saying, God, whatever you want us to do, we will do it. And when we gather together as a church, we show up to say, God, we give you praise this morning. Would you resolve this morning as a Christian to keep God in your sights as you walk daily? And in order to do that, that you would pursue God fiercely. That you would wake up and you would go to work or whatever it is you do every day and you would pursue God desperately. And you would do it not because you're afraid he's going to strike you dead, but you would do it because he's the Lord. He's your dwelling place. He is eternal. He will never drift away. And he is the righteous judge of all things. Now is the time to start. As everybody's making New Year's resolutions that you ain't keeping past this week, would you resolve that you are going to do your best because you love Jesus to make him your treasure? And to pursue him every single day. Folks, in order to do this, you need to be in Christ. You don't just wake up one day and go, okay, I'm going to live life for God now. Bless you. But you can only do this 
by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you that Jesus brings when you trust in him. So what I'm saying is, if you don't believe in Jesus today, if you don't trust him as in saving faith, trust him, believe that it's only his sacrifice on the cross that pays for your sin, it's only his resurrection from the grave that gives you life. If you have not done that, you need to trust in him now. And If you have, if you're a believer in Jesus this morning, if he is your rescuer, pursue him. Live a life centered on your king. And if we do it together, guess what we'll do? If we do it in our own lives, right? If we're busy doing that out there, when we gather together, guess what we'll find? It'll happen here too. And I'm telling you, folks, there is nothing more captivating than seeing a group of people who have nothing else in common other than Jesus and watching them worship together. That captivates people. Amen. And I would love nothing more than to have people walk into this church and see us worshiping together and go, man, their God must be mighty. Folks, this is the encouragement that is brought to us as pilgrims walking in a strange land. We're not alone. We have one who is greater than anything we ever face. May our lives center on him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask you to help us in this reminder that you are the king God, we need that regularly because, Lord, there are so often many times that I like to think that everything revolves around me and is about me. And, God, I like to think that I'm something big and I'm a huge deal. And you remind me every day that I am but dust that has been lovingly created to look like the king who made all things. And Father, you remind us from your word over and over again that you are the Lord. You are mighty. You are the King. And Father, would you help us as we open up 2023 to start with the basis that we're going to make much of you this year. God, for as much time as you give us, we don't know what the days ahead look like. We don't know what awaits us around the next corner, but we do know that you are the Lord, you are our home, you are eternal, and you are the righteous judge. And because of those things, God, we devote our lives to you. Amen. We live our lives for you. Yes. Whatever you want us to do, we'll do it. Wherever you want us to go, we'll go. Whoever you want us to talk to, we'll talk to them. Whoever you want us to share Jesus with, we're going to share Jesus with them. Amen. Father, we're going to do it because you have captivated our hearts. We treasure you. We love you. Yes. And you deserve nothing less than everything. So, Father, help us. Yes. As the world 
creeps in around us and oftentimes strangles out the love we have for you. Lord, would you show us once again that you are the ray of light that pierces the darkness. And you are where our hope is found. So Lord, draw us to yourself. God, if there's anyone here who hasn't trusted in you, if they've played the Christian, but they aren't a Christian, God, would you draw them, show them their sin, show them their desperate need for your son, Jesus. Lord, that you might rescue them by his shed blood on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. And Lord, for us as Christians who know you, who believe in you, Lord, may we be done giving you lip service. May we be done living lives that betray our love of you. And Father, would you help us to cling to you until the day you call us home, until the day we dwell in your presence forever. May we devote our lives to you because you deserve it. Father, your grace is amazing. It is unfathomable. And yet you gave it. We give you praise this morning. Be our treasure. Be our hope. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Yes, Lord. Amen. I'm going to ask